0: Proverbs chapter 3 and reading verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And our title for this evening's message is Fourfold Counsel for Trust in God. Uh, when we look at verses like this, we immediately as- assume or conclude that these verses are very helpful and practical in times of trial and difficulty, and that's absolutely correct, they are. We turn to such verses in times of distress, we don't know what to do next, and we earnestly look to the Lord, and such verses are very helpful at such times but it's by no means restricted to such times it's this these verses are so wonderful and they teach us that there is counsel and instruction and help for us at all times in the christian experience in season and out of and out of season we're exhorted elsewhere in scripture to trust in, in him in the psalms to trust in him at all times god is a refuge for us and here <laughs> In these verses, in verse 6 particularly, where we're told to acknowledge Him in all our ways, in all the different twists and turns of life, we look to Him, whether in times of blessing or times of affliction and trial. This, these verses are very practical for every experience in the, in the Christian walk. So here we have a fourfold counsel to trust God, to trust in the Lord at all times. Uh, so the first counsel we see. In verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. I'll look at each one of them. That's the first counsel. The second comes in the form of a warning. And lean not unto thine own understanding. Number three, the third counsel. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And lastly, the fourth counsel. And the consequence of all the last three. And he shall direct thy paths. As a result of giving heed to these first three councils, the promises at the end. So we can maybe see it as three councils and a promise. God will direct us. God will guide us. God will bless us. As a result of this, as a result of following his blueprint, the blueprint of faith. So the structure of this passage is perfect. And each point naturally leads to the other. And it's really typical of inspired, inspired scripture. So I hope that... This divine advice in this text will, um, and the exhortation to trust God at all times will be of great practicality and helpfulness to us this evening. But we look to the Lord and his, his grace and his spirit for blessing. But we begin in the first counsel in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Whenever the, Bi- whenever the Bible mentions uh, heart, it doesn't... When we think of heart today, in today's culture, we think of feelings and our emotions. That's not how the Bible describes When the Bible describes the heart, it's far more comprehensive than that. Uh, it's speaking about the whole inner being. It's speaking about my reasoning, reasoning faculty. It's thinking about and my emotions as well, but all of it, my deciding faculties, all these things that make up my inner being, the soul. This is what is meant here by heart. So it's not just limited to feelings and emotions, which... Well, that's how people view heart in today's culture, but that's not the biblical definition of the heart. Um, when we speak of these terms spiritually, so that's important to under- That's important to understand. So I must trust the trust the Lord with all my spiritual faculties, with all with my reasoning, with my emotions, with my decision making, every department of my being. Every these must be united. I must trust the Lord with all my heart, with all the faculties. And so the what we learn from the first point here is don't be an insincere Christian. Don't be a half-hearted Christian. But trust him entirely. Trust him with the reasoning, with your reasoning faculty and your emotions. And by the way, I don't think that should ever be the other way around. We should always process and understand these uh, because you get some churches where People are bombarded with emotional manipulation and they don't know what they believe. So I understand these things. I understand these glorious doctrines and truths. And with understanding them, I derive comfort and the feelings come in. So it's always it's always that way around. But the point I'm making is trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Yes, with your affections and emotions, that's vital. But also understanding and appreciating these things, using the faculty of reasoning, to comprehend and to assess and to assess these wonderful, wonderful truths, and it's possible to go to the other extreme, where you understand so much, you understand all the doctrines, you know all the doctrines of grace, you've read so many systematic theologies, and you know these things like the back of your hand, and yet you're no longer moved by these things. These things no longer excite you, and that's a disaster. So, so you'd have two extremes that we must really guard against, where um, there are some places where you can be moved to such heights of emotion and tears and so on, and yet you don't even know what, what the words are. You don't even know what is being taught. But then there's the other extreme where you know so much, and yet you're not moved by these things. So the exhortation here is so vital for, for faith, for genuine faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all the faculties of the soul. Uh, don't be a half-hearted Christian, but not only understand and know the doctrines, but appreciate them and love them more than anything else. The Apostle Paul warns in this first letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, he says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So knowledge by itself can be deadly. So love and appreciation for these things is is, is vital my heart 's got to be moved by the things I believe in, otherwise it 's just formality and We come to the worship of God, and we, I, may, I may be a, a faithful attender to the, to the house of God, and I, I read the Bible and I pray to the lord, but i 'm in Uh, autopilot. I just do these things because I have to, and my heart is no longer engaged in these things. I don't love these things, and my heart is not stirred. And that can happen to true believers. And if you do find yourself on autopilot, you can pray to the Lord. Lord, help me. I no longer feel. I no longer appreciate these doctrines. I I believe them, yes, but my feelings have gone. So we can ask the Lord to resuscitate uh, our joy and our appreciation for these things, otherwise we can dangerously move into the area of hypocrisy where we know so much, but we don't love these things like we used to, and our love and our hearts are grow our, our love grows cold for these things. But if my faith is sincere and I treasure these things, I love the doctrines of grace, I love the scriptures, I love the prop I love the promises, I love the promises of God, and I take. Great efforts to hold on to these things. For example, if I'm at home and I'm able-bodied, and there's a meeting, prayer meeting, Bible study, churches vary in their meetings, and I open the door, it's cold outside, it's raining, oh, I think I'll, I'll watch it online. But if I love the means of grace, if these things are more precious to me than anything else, then if I'm able-bodied, I will go to be with God's people because I see it's so precious. And I believe the scriptures when, when God tells me that he imparts a blessing when his people are gathered together for corporate worship. And so it's, it's coming together, reading the scriptures and worship, all these things I, I find exceedingly precious. I with the psalmist, with Psalm David, uh, David uh, in Psalm 63, because thy lovingkindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Lord, these things are more important to me than anything else. Not all the entertainment in the world, all the things that other people go after. Lord, this is refuge compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior. So the feelings must, so we can make the mistake sometimes as reform people to doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And that's vital, that's critical. We cannot emphasize it enough. But the feelings must be there as well. So this is, this is what is meant here in, uh, in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with your emotions and with your thinking faculty, with your reasoning, and you processing these things, understand, understanding these things. So our, uh, we must uh, so appreciate these things because there are so many... Satan uses the pressures of life to try loosen our grip on our appreciation for the faith. Uh, the love of many will grow, grow cold, we learn in Scripture. So that appreciation for our salvation and these doctrines and these promises uh, keep them alive by prayer come to the lord pour out your heart before him if you're struggling and he will hear our, he will hear our prayers sincerity in the christian walk is is vital so I must trust him entirely and another another lesson we draw from this first council is to trust him entirely means to have no confidence in the flesh what do you mean by this preacher we we recognize that from Philippians chapter 3, no confidence in the flesh. The apostle Paul has no confidence in the flesh. But what does it mean here? Well, it means maybe I've been a faithful follower of Christ for many years. I've, and I've known great blessing and great instrumentality in my Christian walk. And Satan beguiles me very subtly. I, I'm resting on my laurels. I'm resting on my victories of the past. And I'm no longer leaning upon the Lord, but I, I'm leaning upon my own faithfulness as a Christian. That's, that's dangerous as well. I do not put any confidence in my reputation as a Christian. My long years of faithful service, no. Not on my credentials. That's leaning on, on my own understanding. No, I lean on the Lord. It doesn't matter how experienced I am as a, as a Christian. I always look to the Lord. In fact, the, the more I grow in the Christian faith, the more I realize that I need him more and more. I'm so weak. I'm so frail. I cleave to him all the more. So these things, are, these things we draw from this first council Depend upon him in all things. So authentic faith can, is very much a humbling experience. I'll often be humbled to the dust. As, and whom the Lord loves, he chastises. We'll be looking at this at some other points later. But this first point, sincerity, first and foremost, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. But now we come to the second counsel in this passage of Scripture. And it's a warning. What happens when sincerity starts to evaporate? And we see this in the warning in the next council. And lean not on thine own understanding. If sincerity creeps in, and it can happen to us, even genuine believers can struggle with these things. Insincerity can creep into the Christian life where I start to lean on my own understanding. But what does this mean practically? Well, when... I'm no longer trusting in the Lord with all my heart. It could be my, my emotions are, are my emotions are no longer stirred by these things, and I know these things. But or it could be the other way around. You go to some churches where it's people that hardly know anything, and yet they're they're sobbing with tears, and the music's repetitive, and there's no theology in the music. So you have two extremes here. We don't want to we don't want to be in either of those camps. We want to our hearts must be stirred, and we must love the Lord, and we must understand these things. But um, when this is not happening, when I don't appreciate and if I don't know these things, then well, the rule of lo- the rule of the word begins to evaporate in my life, and the principles of Scripture start to become neglected, and forgotten. And an example of this of leaning on our own understanding is the worldly wisdom of self-preservation. And that's when my my own comfort and my own well-being. Becomes more important than the convictions and principles that I'm supposed to hold as a Christian. So this is the worldly wisdom of self-preservation. Christ warns about this, by the way, in the Gospels. I just remar- I just draw your attention to this in Mark chapter 35, verse Mark chapter 8, I beg your pardon, verse 35, uh, the warning of this worldly wisdom, this worldly this wisdom, fleshly wisdom of self-preservation. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. When, in the early church, when the apostles were preaching the gospel, and they went to the temple, and they were arrested, and then eventually when they elected deacons, well, shortly after, and Stephen, we all remember Stephen was the first martyr, but before he was martyred, he gave a defense for the faith, there were accusations against him, and he gave a historical survey of how the Jews had always resisted the work of grace. They had always resisted the Holy Spirit, and I just draw. Te- you'll see where I'm going with this. I'm not going on a tangent, but Acts chapter seven verse thirty-nine. Stephen speaking about how their forebears in the wilderness did not obey Moses and, and did not obey the Lord, to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into egypt so what has this got to do preacher with trusting in the lord well the following there are many many professing christians today who profess to love the lord and to profess to put their trust in the savior and not just professing christians but even churches and they've gone back to the world they've gone back to they've gone back to egypt and uh it's so, it's it's so sad. They're leaning on their own. They're leaning on their own understanding, because the way of the narrow path, the Bible, as the Lord Jesus Christ describes, the path of salvation, entering at the straight gate, for for narrow is the way that leads to life, and wide is the way that leads to destruction. Well, the narrow way, there can be difficulties. There can then can be then if I'm faithful to the Lord, I will be attacked by Satan, and there are challenges in the narrow way and. Many people today are jettisoning these things which are taught in the Scriptures, which are taught in the New Testament, vital, vital components for how churches are run and worship, and these things are now being jettisoned left, right, and center. Messy church, and you can just do whatever you want in church, just name the name of Jesus Christ. So many have gone back to, they come to church, yes, they call it church, but they've gone, to, they've gone back to Egypt. Their heart is not where it ought to be, And they just, well, again, emotions are stirred, but there's so much biblical illiteracy. And so many people, they just don't know the principles of the scripture. And many churches look like rock concerts. And there are verses everywhere in the Bible. In the New Testament, I can stand here for hours and show you that this is utterly an abomination, what's going on. In so many places where the name of Christ is named... But he's standing outside the church, knocking on the door. Behold, we'll I stand at the door and knock. He's not there. So many people have thrust God out of their lives. And they've gone back to the world. Egypt being symbolic of the world, as I'm sure, I'm sure you know. But in the midst of all this, Christ is calling his true, his true elect. In the midst of all this clamor, that still small voice is calling us. Come out of her, my people. Come out of this evil culture. You see, one of the dangerous ideas that many churches, at the trap that many believers, well, professing Christians and churches, that the mistake they're making today is that we can blend the gospel into the culture. It can be, we can dilute the gospel so it can be relevant to, contemporary, to the contemporary culture. And every, there's principles everywhere. You're falling over them in Scripture, which says this is absolutely forbidden. You cannot uh, mingle with the holy and the profane. The profane. And God calls to his people, uh, Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, Come out of her, my people, that you do not share of her plagues and her sins. You are not of this world. Abandon this sinful culture and its sinful pleasures. And follow me. Trust me. Yes, the path is narrow. It's a narrow pathway, but it's a truly blessed path. It's a path of fruitfulness. It's a path where you have answers to prayer. It's a path where you experience the nearness of Christ. And the fellowship of his sufferings, this is the path that Christ calls us to, and there are, so that's the first issue we have or the, this, this council is so comprehensive we can speak of many many ways in which we're leaning on our own understanding. but there's another way which true believers can fall into this trap as well, and it's this: that I become so anxious and worried about the cares of this life and this happens to all of us i'm guilty of it we we fall into this trap from time to time when difficulties come upon us challenges come upon us trials come upon us and they can choke up my spiritual life i barely believe the promises of god and i believe that i foolishly believe that god is is against me and how will i manage in the future so many things that people worry about Yes, we must, if, for example, finance and health and children's future, so many things in life which can cause us, which can suffocate the spiritual life because we, we rehearse these things in our mind and we're, we're paralyzed spiritually. Well, yes, we must be sensible and we must plan for the future and we must do what we can to be good fathers, good mothers and, and uh, those who provide for our families. We must do all we can but i must never lose the sight of a fact that i am now a child of god and i've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and this world in its current state is not going to last these things one day will all be burned up why am i getting so anxious about these things it's not going to last this world is passing away but he that abideth but he that doeth the will of god abideth forever 1 john chapter 2 verse 17 all these these are the things that we we do by faith when we do come when we do um come to these difficult issues in life i trust in him with all my heart i remember the promises i make his priorities my priorities seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you i commit my cause into his hands and i delight in him and he shall He shall answer my prayers and guide me into the paths of righteousness. And he will provide for all my needs. But then the next counsel we have here, the next appeal to faith, uh, the third one. I'll just read the other two again. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. There's an equivalent verse, I believe, in the New Testament in all thy ways acknowledge him. And here it is, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let Christ, all that he is, my high priest, my prophet, my king, my saviour, I understand these things, I appreciate these things, and all his promises and his wonderful teachings, and the fact that He is my salvation, He is my refuge, He is my hiding place, He is my strength, He is my He is the rock that is higher than I. I remember all these things in the names of Christ. Let these things and let the principles of Scripture pervade every area of my life, my life in the home, my work life, the different relationships I have, the different roles I have, times of recreation. I do all in the name of the Lord Je- Lord Jesus. I do remember once as a very young Christian visiting um, this other Christian's place. He invited me over. He was a single man, but he invited... He invited and I was very young in the faith at the time. Um, and I visited his place, and he was in the kitchen, and I just uh, looked around, and I noticed a very large collection of DVDs. And I saw... Among the DVDs, horror movies that I used to watch as a worldling, violent and disgusting and gruesome, and I was thinking, I just couldn't believe it. Is how is this possible? And it, it so confused me as a Christian. I was troubled by this for months. So, so this, this—he's a nice, this is a nice Christian. This is a, uh, this is a good brother. But there seems to be a dichotomy here, by what he professes and what he, be, what he believe, what he believes. But here we are exhorted in Scripture. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, everything in my life, no, no nook or cranny is hidden from Christ. My recreation, all things ha- are saturated with these principles and with my Saviour. What you, whatsoever you do, and do all in the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So Christ and his principles must pervade every area of my life, as I've already mentioned. But I won't be able to acknowledge him in all my ways if my knowledge of him is vague and this is another great problem we we have today in in this age of biblical illiteracy that many who profess the name of Christ barely know anything uh, again i don't mean to be overcritical by the way you know i have plenty of faults of my own but i do remember again uh, speaking to another uh professing christian many years ago and uh as Christians do, we read, we have our devotions, we have our times of prayer and reading the scriptures. And he was sharing with me what he does with his devotions. And he was reading this one page from this devotional book and it had a little scripture verse at the end. And he, he never read his Bible, he just thought that that was sufficient to read this devotional. And by the way, I, I soon discovered that that devotional was, was filled with psychological babble. It wasn't biblical at all, I discovered this much later. But this is this is what he was feeding on. And so today, this people can fall into this trap. Many people, they don't know how they can apply the scriptures into their lives into the, and how to make it practical because they don't know much at all. They don't know these things. Their, their understanding of the Bible and its principles and of Christ and his teachings, they're vague, they're elementary. So if I don't endeavor to study my Bible and to love these things and to have consistent Don't skip. I endeavor never to skip devotions and to have that prayer life with my Savior in the closet and endeavor to have a firmer grasp on the doctrines to understand these things more and more. And when I do this, well, if I'm not doing this, how can I acknowledge God in all my ways? How can I understand what His will is for me? In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, we read, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So, feelings are important, yes, but so is knowledge. One cannot exist without the other. It's so vital. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. At conversion, when I'm first converted, God imparts to me, initially, so much wisdom. It's given automatically. It's given, I understand so much even though I'm a babe in Christ, there's so much I understand that I never used to understand and, and appreciate, but it doesn't stop. Yes, my justification is complete. Heaven is mine. Christ, petrol, thirsting for more, to grow in grace, to draw closer to him. So, and if this happens, then that initial renewing, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't Do not be conformed to this world system. And I study the Scriptures, and I love these things, then I will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But without this, I won't. And I will make catastrophic mistakes. Even Christians can do this. If they, if they don't take this uh, call of sanctification seriously and endeavor to grow and to know the Scriptures, uh, uh, carry on in, in, in understanding the doctrines and growing in these things, if I remain biblically illiterate, it can be disastrous. Yes, I won't lose my salvation, but there's so many great mistakes I can make as a result of not understanding the principles, the teachings of the scripture of my of my Savior. When trials come, for example, when I'm going through difficulties and stri- trials, or well, even those who know all these things, we can fall into this trap. Of course we can. Um, I don't pretend to know. Uh, everything. I, I feel the more you read the scriptures, the more you realize how much, uh, there's so much you don't know. Uh, this the, the Bible is so vast in its teachings, but when you go through trials and difficulties, um, what do I do? When catastrophe strikes, when difficulties strike, do I panic? Do I fall to pieces? Do I complain? And that's what we're tempted, that's, that's fallen human nature, that's what we're inclined to do with our fallen hearts. We still have We have the new nature, but we have residual sin. And Satan tempts us in this way, flares up our emotions. But what ought I to do? Do I fall to pieces? Do I say, oh, the Lord is not with me? Or do I do what I'm supposed to do? Rehearse the promises of God. Go to the promises of God which give me the most comfort and read them and believe them. For example, Psalm 46, then the first two verses. And the psalmist, inspired by the Spirit of God, deliberately uses the most graphic language conceivable, you couldn't get any you, the trouble couldn't possibly as be as as worse as this. Listen, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. This is far more worse than an earthquake. And yet whatever happens in this life and this you, we may be able to look at that those verses and look at the spiritual spiritual lessons and how it might be sp- speaking hypothetically, the many difficulties we go through in life, and yet God promises he is always a very present help in trouble. And to doubt that is to grieve the Holy Spirit. So we bear these things in mind. But if I, if I know these promises, if I remember these promises, if I'm reading my Bible, God, by his Spirit, will bring these things to memory to help me, to comfort me, to bless to bless me. Or sometimes, and this happens, you there's friction between Christians, and it's very sad when this happens. Christians can fall out with each other and it's even worse when Christians start to hold grudges with each other. How sad that happens. And a subtle form of revenge. You're not taking physical revenge on that brother or sister, but you don't want to talk to them anymore. And yet we're told in the scriptures, if I'm reading my Bible, I, that will concern me because I can't offer the gift on the altar to the Lord while there's disunity with my brother. No, leave the gift there and sort and and win your brother back. And yet many Christians harboring a grudge against brother or sister. And maybe they're not telling you, but they they might say to their husband or wife or close friend, uh, I'm struggling with my walk. Well, have you resolved that issue with your brother and sister in the Lord? Christ shed his blood for that person. And you're still harboring a grudge with, with him or her. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Be not overcome with evil, but evil with good. These are the principles that we, we ought to know and Help us when we have these spiritual conflicts assailing us, and ephesians chapter four verse thirty two and be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another, even as God for christ's sake hath forgive, hath forgiven you, or I go through an intensely difficult trial, and I start to question the lord's care, and all of a sudden, because i'm reading the scriptures and I treasure these things, God by his spirit brings. Passages like this to remembrance. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Well, the last counsel, fourfold counsel in this passage, and the last one we come to, uh, the fourth one, the latter half of Verse 6, it's more like a promise, really. So the three counsels and the promise at the end, what God will do. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. As a result of loving the Lord with all my heart, of course, I will make mistakes as a Christian, and there's the spiritual battle every day, and I will let down the Lord, but if I'm sincere, and I'm pleading with the Lord to overcome my besetting sins. And I often, I'm often so cast down, Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm such a, I, am, I know I'm a Christian, Lord, but give me grace to fight the good fight of faith, to get rid of this sin which keeps harassing me. Give me grace, Lord. So, um, yes, our goal is perfection, but we will not reach it in this life. But nevertheless, that's the, that's the objective, perfection. And if we're pleading with the Lord to help us, we will make we will make pro, we will make progress. And so, yes, um, loving the Lord with all our heart doesn't mean that I will be perfect in this life. It's not possible, but I strive to, and it's difficult. But the Lord will help me. He will give He will give me grace. And, a result of, and as a result of doing this, waging war against my sin, taking up the sword of the Spirit, endeavoring to understand more. Praying for the Lord to stir up my emotions again, if my heart grows cold as a result of doing this, then He will direct my paths. That is the promise. the promise of these three counsels: I will direct your paths. you will know my help. you will know my practical guidance in your life. You will know my power you You will know wonderful answers to prayer. that is the promise. if I am a sincere believer, yes. I fail, my Lord. But if I'm sincere and I'm endeavouring to fight against my sin, God will help me. He will guide me. He will bless me. And this is one of the many proof texts, by the way, the text that I'm these verses that I'm preaching this morning, I mean this evening. That guidance is the the doctrine of God guiding His people is actually it's it's a proof text that God does guide His people. Because some people some people today believe that. All we have is a ten, we have the Ten Commandments and God doesn't guide his people. They think it's a, a charismatic thing, but it's not a charismatic thing. It's what the Reformers believe, that God has a, pra- has a specific path for his people and we must seek his guidance where and the, in the big decisions of life, where he wants us to be, um, who we must marry. Some people think, no, you just follow the Ten Commandments and you're good to go. It doesn't, no. You have so many proof texts in the scriptures Guide me into the paths of righteousness for Thy name's sake, Psalm 23. In this Psalm here, um, uh, He will direct Thy path. He will guide me in the big issue, in the big issues of life. I say this because it's 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 very unpopular today, the guidance of God, and it's coming into reform circles as well. But friends, these these councils, these four councils, this fourfold counsel to trust in the Lord are so precious. They're so valuable, they're so exceedingly practical and helpful. So don't be content with the mediocre Christian experience with very little answers to prayer for forfeiting so much power and help and blessing, but instead take heed to these wonderful counsels in faith. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct Thy paths don't settle for anything less. Amen. Let's sing our last hymn. Hymn number 686. Hymn number 686. Jesus, my strength, my hope. On thee I cast my care. Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and for evermore. Amen.